values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Appreciate you spending some time with us on the show. All Americans are set to face a massive power bill this winter. In addition to food costs going up, we know that the, there is a tightening of the food supply. Uh, crops in America are not what they should be or not what they were hoping that they would be in many places. We know about the wheat shortage because of what's going on with Ukraine and Russia. So food prices continue to go up across the country, especially here in the Valley. One of the things we don't necessarily deal with here in the Valley is heating oil prices. But when they talk about energy bills for the winter, time, it has a lot to do with natural gas prices going up. It is expected that people will be paying an average of 14.8 cents per kilowatt hour in 2022. That's 7.5% higher than just one year ago because of the rising cost of natural gas. So I want to do a little comparison or a little uh, side-by-side, I guess I should say, because this isn't a direct connection. But when I talk to you about policy, when we talk about leadership, this is the thing. these are the things that I am talking about. The Biden administration, in my opinion, and I think it's been verified and validated, I don't think I'm going out on a limb or making a big stretch here when I've said that the Biden administration's number one issue is climate change. Far and away, no other issue is bigger than climate change for the Biden administration. And here's where this is proof of that. You talk about the oil from Russia and you talk about what OPEC decreasing uh, production. So that's why prices are going up. We don't control the price of oil. But what we do control is what we can do with that oil. This is not in Arizona. It's in New Mexico, but the Biden administration sides against Native Americans in a crackdown on oil leasing near indigenous site. So this is on the Navajo Nation in western New Mexico, and there is an oil rig there with oil companies, and there are royalties that are paid to the tribe there. The tribe wants to continue drilling. The tribe says, first of all, the oil companies aren't ruining any of the land. We are Native Americans. We respect the land. And there is no damage being done by the oil companies here. They have new technology. Things are going very very well. We are making a living. We are making royalties from the oil leases here. The president said, nope, no oil leases there. So it isn't a direct connection to the fuel prices, but they're doing the same thing with natural gas. Yesterday on the show, John Kerry goes to African countries and says to African countries that are looking at natural gas projects so that they can power and get electricity to parts of their country that doesn't have it. And he said to them, we are, we, we are recommending you don't do these projects because of climate change. And this is from a guy that flies around the world on a private jet. These are the issues that I have with the climate change agenda. We talk about this so much, and I talk about it all the time. Man-made climate change and the agenda and the political agenda this has turned into. It is a great argument, and it's a fun debate. I debate with people around here that are big believers in man-made climate change and how we are on the precipice. We are right on the verge of a natural disaster because of man-made climate change. I don't subscribe to that belief. I don't believe it. I've lived long enough to watch them be wrong. The scientists in the 1970s were wrong. They were wrong again in the 80s. Their protégés and their students were wrong in the 90s and into the 2000s. They've never been right. They have not been right with their predictions. That's just my opinion. But when we argue them amongst ourselves... And I say to you, listen, I am an environmentalist. And I, well, you don't sound like one. I am. I want clean air. I want clean water. I don't litter. I recycle, even though it does no good. It all ends up in the same trash pile. I do what responsible people do. I don't want, you know, I have a, a grandchild that's asthmatic. 
I understand that I, we need clean air, as clean as we can get in the dust bowl we live in. I get all of those things. What I don't subscribe to is the political movement and the scare tactics that are going on. But when you and I argue them, that's exactly what we're doing. You're over dinner, you're over a drink, over beers with someone, and you start having a conversation and you disagree. When the president of the United States is setting policies like this, you have to acknowledge you may, and there are many of you listening, that disagree with me on this issue, that believe that the president is doing what's necessary to save the planet. And if you do, then you've got to be happy with what's going on. But you also have to acknowledge that the policies of this White House are contributing to the high energy prices in this country. And there are people in this country that can't put food on the table. We've talked about food insecurity. They're having to go to food banks right now. So now you've got people that are working their tails off. They are working hard every single day. They haven't given up. And now they're looking at the prospect of this winter of not only having hungry children, but freezing cold children. I was in northern New York for Thanksgiving one year. It was the coldest couple of days I've ever spent in my life in Fishkill, New York. And uh, I didn't realize how expensive it was. I grew up in Florida, and then I moved to Phoenix, Arizona. I didn't have any clue how expensive it is to heat a house with heating oil. had no clue. So they had one room that they used a fireplace in that was kept warm. And at night when you went to bed, there was no heat on in the house. So you had heating blankets and heating pads. But if you had to get up go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, oh, my gosh. I mean, I, mean, I wanted to buy diapers. I didn't want to get out of bed. And it was, it was an experience. And I realized these are middle class families. These are working class families. We're not talking about people that are at the bottom rung of the economic ladder that were having a very difficult time and couldn't afford to heat their house fully all winter long. And you look at what's happening to families now with food insecurity across this country. It is policies like this that contribute to that big jump in costs. This is where I say to candidates respectfully and people out there, these are the issues we should be talking about. Go take a page out of Ronald Reagan's book. Go talk to the American people and say, I don't, if you looked at how Reagan treated people, Reagan never hated anyone. He didn't hate on his political opponents. He used to crack jokes and laugh with them. Um, you know, him and uh, it was a Tip O'Neill used to sit back and have a drink together. Um, but they stood their ground on policy. And Reagan had a knack for being able to say to people, this is what I want to do. But this is also why I want to do it and what it's going to accomplish. And then he followed through. If we don't talk about real issues like this, if we don't talk to, about the real issues that you may believe in what this climate change deal is doing, but these policies are driving up already high energy costs, people are paying much more for their electric bill. So now you've got families that are already have, have a very tough time paying even more to heat their homes this winter. This is going to be the best place it can be. I believe America is the greatest country on the planet. I think the stock market is going to adjust itself. I think it's going to right the ship. I think housing prices are going to continue to go back up. I think interest rates are eventually going to come down. I think we are going to live the American dream. I believe that because I believe in the American people. But if we are on course right now that we shouldn't be on, you have to blame the people that are putting us on that course. And then you have to elect people to get us on the course that you think is right. There's the message. It's not a message of hate. It's a message of disagreement. Look at the results. If you're happy with the results, continue on this path. If you're not happy, we've got a better option for you. Whoever we are, we have a better option. 
And let's see. I'm anxious to see if it happens. Coming up in a moment, we're going to talk specifically about a law in Arizona. You're not allowed to film police within eight feet. They're not even going to fight that law, so it's not going to go into effect. We'll talk about the fallout from that next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Little My Maria on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday from the Mike Broomhead Show. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Stevie Nicks headed to auction Pavilion October 6th with Vanessa Carlton. Tickets are on sale, but you can win a pair if you visit the contest page over at KTAR.com. Do it right now. You might be a winner. Uh, Want to talk about this law, and I don't think at its, at its base that this is an issue. But again, I'm no lawyer. I just I have common sense. The law was written by John Cavanaugh, who was in law enforcement. I believe he was a Port Authority cop in New York for a long time. I don't think it's a bad... I don't think it's ill-intentioned at all. I think it's a well-intentioned or intended law. I think they've got the right idea. I don't see a problem with this, and I'll tell you why. And what the law states is you cannot videotape a police officer within eight feet of a police situation going on, unless there's some, you know, there's some uh, some exclusions. If you're pulled over in a traffic stop and you're in your car and you're the one that's pulled over, you can videotape, just like a cop can videotape with a body camera. The reason why I don't think at its core the law is a bad idea is because there needs to be a safe buffer zone. And in for legal uh, terms, there has to be something precise. You can't just say a safe distance because what I might think is a safe distance as a police officer might be much further than eight feet. And another officer might think that it's the distance needs to be two feet. So you have to have parameters. And I don't think eight feet is a bad idea. I don't think it's bad. It's, it's good for officer safety. It's good for public safety. You know, they keep I, I talked about the uh, they had a huge shooting that happened at 26th Avenue in Deer Valley a few weeks ago with a guy popping off rounds, hundreds of rounds from an AR-15. Um, and uh, he also had a Molotov cocktail. The, the press was there. The press was a quarter of a mile, maybe a half a mile away they were staged. Why? It's a public safety issue. So what's the difference between a journalist being told this is the media area and somebody with a cell phone? And in that instance, it's also an officer safety issue. We've talked about the difficulties officers have when family members get involved, friends get involved. You've got drunk people. Let's go with Old Town Scottsdale. Let's just say Old Town. People partying on the weekends. It's usually a younger crowd. Things get out of hand. Somebody's going to get arrested for being drunk in public. Cops give somebody three or four chances. Hey, listen, move along. Get out of here. And the guy just won't shut his mouth. The guy's being belligerent. The guy's starting fights. The guy's starting to get destructive. And officers finally say... He has to go to jail. So you try to take this guy into custody, as happens quite a bit, because they need to sleep it off. And while you're putting this person in cuffs, his buddies, who are also as drunk as he is and filled with testosterone, you know, testosterone and alcohol, not a good combination. We've all been there in our younger days, I think. Um, What happens then when they start to get too close? You know, it's an officer safety issue where I think the problem in this law lies, and I wonder if they'll rewrite it, and I think it might be if they rewrite it, and it had nothing to do with the camera. What if it just said, you are not allowed to be within eight feet of an officer-involved situation? You can't be within eight feet. You've got to give them that buffer so that they feel safe and you're safe. I don't see how that's possibly an invasion of someone's First Amendment rights. 
What makes somebody think that you can be that close while an officer is trying to affect an arrest? An officer has to look. They talk about their head on a swivel. Like a football player. They also talk about them looking at the peripheral, out of their peripheral vision when they're driving in a, in a chase or heading to a scene when they're going with lights and sirens. Also in a public situation where they're making an arrest. If you think about this, and maybe it's not ever happened to you, but when you've been in a, people that have been in a critical incident, if you're driving, you know, chasing somebody, if you're running and chasing somebody, do you know how many people, how many times people have like running from the cops, run into traffic and get run over? Because you get tunnel visioned. You are just trying to get away. Cops are trained to look around them. And it's something that is not necessarily you uh, are born with. This is a skill that you have to learn, that cops have to keep an eye on everything around them. And you have to have somebody watching your back. Well, when there starts to be a fight, if there is something going on where they are affecting an arrest and they have to be focused on a suspect – focused on one individual, they need to feel safe that people are not going to be right on their back trying to get their gun, trying to get their taser, trying to whatever. So I don't know how this law invades, uh, violates someone's First Amendment rights, but the state's not going to fight this one. And uh, so and the legislature is not going to fight it. So do you rewrite it? And if I were them, I would rewrite it and I would rewrite it and have nothing in there about video or or photographs of any kind. Audio, I have nothing. You can't be within eight feet. And I would go even further. What if it's um, a life saving situation? What paramedics? You know, give them room. You're going to stand over a paramedic's sh- a shoulder while a firefighter or a paramedic is rendering aid to someone, doing CPR or trying to clear somebody's airway or whatever might be happening in a critical incident. You're going to get in the way. I mean, it's dumb. It is a dumb idea for people to do. And the idea that it is somehow a violation of First Amendment rights, I think, is also equally dumb. I don't think it violates anybody's rights. I think what ends up happening is uh, people are safer. But maybe it's the video thing. Get rid of the videotape part of this, and maybe this passes muster. I'm anxious to see if they will rewrite this law in the next legislative session or if this is just going to go away. We'll find out. Coming up at uh, 935, key ballot initiatives at Arizona will vote on. There are some that you are going to vote in ballot initiatives. One of them actually would change ballot initiatives. It's very interesting. So we're going to talk about that coming up here in just a couple of moments. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, thanks for being here. We apologize for the technical difficulties. They're working on them. We're going to get them fixed as quickly as we can, but thanks for your patience as we roll through the morning. Uh, a lot of big ballot propositions that are uh, being put forth for for voters here in Arizona, and I think it's an important issue um, when you look at these ballot initiatives. I've been very clear about where I stand on our propositional form of government. I am not a fan. I think our propositional form of government is lazy. It's raw democracy. It's everything our founding fathers said was the wrong thing to do, and I will tell you there is an example of it that we are going Going through at the state level right now, and it is how you override a ballot proposition. So what they're not doing is they're not trying to get rid of ballot propositions. They're trying to change the process of how you override a ballot proposition. Here's why. In 1980, there was a ballot proposition. It was passed by the voters in Arizona that limited the percentage of the state budget that could go to education. And 
they did this for whatever reason, and in the 80s, they believed that it was a valuable thing to do for the people of Arizona. Well, here we are, all of these years later, what, 42 years later, and it's not quite. I mean, doesn't that make sense? What was a valuable law, what may have been the right thing for the people of Arizona in 1980, may not be the right thing in 2022. So last legislative session, they had to go in. There was over a billion dollars that was um, already set aside for uh, education spending. It was already allocated. They couldn't spend it because it violated a 1980 law unless they got two-thirds majority in the House and the Senate to override it. They did kind of in the 11th hour in the last week of the legislative session. So now it was only a temporary override. It wasn't a permanent override. It wasn't a reversal. So now we're going to have to do it again. And I can tell you the political fallout that's going to happen for both political parties because there are members of the Republican Party, and I don't think they're wrong in their belief, that believe that it's not just spending that is the problem in education. There's an oversight problem. They are doing things in education that, you know, I've had my disagreements with the teacher organizations. I hate the politics of education. But there are things that they are doing. That is moving in the right direction in the minds of many. We've talked about doctors. When a doctor goes through residency, when a doctor is learning to be a doctor, he or she shadows other physicians. I was just at my doctor recently, and there were two students that were there, two medical students that were shadowing the doctor. That is a brilliant way to teach people. There's an old uh, adage in medical school. You watch one, you do one, you teach one. That when you are doing whatever that procedure is, when you are good enough at it to teach someone else how to do it. Now you've got a good grip on that procedure. Watch one, do one, teach one. In policing, we know that there is the FTO, the Field Training Officer Program. You graduate from the police academy. You are a certified police officer. You are AZ post certified. That doesn't mean you're ready to be on the streets as a street cop. You go through a pretty strict program where you are watched every step of the way in every aspect of the job. There is pass-fail, and you got to make sure that you're proficient before they turn you loose as a police officer. Well, they are doing similar programs in Arizona, which is called mentoring. You call it all the nice things you want, but it also should be oversight. There are some people that just are not cut out to be school teachers. Let's be honest. It's like that with any profession. There are people, there are many people that have, and I know a couple personally, that wanted to be cops their whole lives. They go to the police academy. They graduate from the police academy. They get an FTO. They see what life is like on the streets. And either they say, this isn't for me, or they're told, this isn't for you. Why? Because of the severity and the seriousness of the job. You only want the best and the brightest in the profession, and you want to make sure they're proficient. Would anybody disagree with me when I say teaching is just as important? So with that being said, there's $1.3 billion that has already been allocated that will not be be able to be spent if the state legislature doesn't get a two-thirds majority. So you've got a you've got a law from 1980 that was passed by you and me if we were here. I wasn't. The voters in Arizona limiting education spending. And it changes, it alters the Constitution in that way. So why would we continue to do this? 
This is one of my biggest issues as we continue down this road. And people have said, and I've used the marijuana thing just because that was one of those issues that was controversial. Many people said, we want marijuana legalized. We want medical marijuana because there's medicinal value. But the legislature will never take it up in Arizona, so we're taking it to the voters. It's still a lazy way of doing things. And it's the wrong way to do things because I can guarantee you this. 20 years from now, there may be changes that are necessary, that are prudent in that law for marijuana legalization that need to be tweaked. And unless you get a two-thirds majority of the House and the Senate, it doesn't happen. So as voters, we should be voting for people that take the issues we are most concerned with to the people in virtue of legislation. When you do these ballot initiatives, when you go out and get signatures, and and to be honest, the the marijuana thing fits this bill as well. Nationally speaking, there was money that poured into Arizona from outside of Arizona to get that piece of legislation passed. It wasn't voters in Arizona that were, were raising all of this money. It was coming from interests outside of Arizona. Now, whether you believe it should be legal or it shouldn't, that's not the point here. The way we did it is a way that's just flawed. Well, that's one of the propositions that's on the ballot. There's a a proposition about the Dreamers and whether or not they're going to get in-state tuition. There are all these propositions that you're going to get to vote on that's going to take two-thirds majority of the House and Senate to change down the road if it's flawed. And so in the state of Arizona, listen, I am someone that's an advocate. I am an advocate for the rights of people. There's no doubt. You can't question me on that. But raw democracy, everybody agreed at the foundation of this country, raw democracy is a lazy and dangerous form of government. And there is no closer thing to raw democracy than having the legislative process and the ballot initiative process the way we have it. I'm sorry. That's just how it is. In a moment, something interesting. I saw a story in the Capital Times. Do past social media posts sway voters? It's a very interesting question. We'll talk about sins of the past. That's coming up here in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, appreciate you spending part of your Tuesday morning with the Mike Broomhead Show. We always do. Coming up just after 10 o'clock, we're going to talk about are you better off now than you were two years ago? That's the question that should be asked. We're going to talk politics, of course, but the politics of the issues America is facing is we're facing more and more inflation after 10 o'clock. Are people focused enough on the issues and not uh, so much on each other? We'll get to that. I think it's an interesting topic. Here's one also. Do do. Past social media posts sway voters. And I think it's a fascinating question because this Capital Times story talks about a couple of different things. One of them is the Democrat running for county attorney and Julie Gunnigal. Um, and, you know, I, I've made it pretty clear. Um, she's been in the studio with me. She's welcome anytime on the show. I want to hear the political differences between the candidates. But on this one, looking at a staff member that in the past has made some crass statements and made some inappropriate jokes, and now there are people furious. And I think maybe it's uh, what party you're in sometimes, depending on the the severity of what they would call the infraction or what you said. In this case, it was a staffer that made some uh, homophobic jokes and stuff on Twitter and said some things and deleted them years later and didn't even remember they were there. And this is the part of life that doesn't make sense to me. It really doesn't. when you look at who you are now compared to who you were years ago, uh, I will tell you, I am so glad that I didn't get on Twitter until I was in my 40s or 50s. 
you know, when I was 16, 17, 18 years old, 20 years old, who knows what I would have put up on social media? Who knows what jokes I would have cracked? I, I don't, you know, I don't know what, I, if I would have or I wouldn't have, you know? And uh, when, I think part of growing up is adults set you straight. Adults tell you what's appropriate and inappropriate. There's, you know, my parents, my mom used to say to me, don't talk like that in this house. You talk like that with your friends. Don't talk like that here. You know, and there's language that's not supposed to be um, that, you know, you got to know the room you're in. But does a past social media post, you think about, was it Kevin Hart that was going to do the, the Emmys or the Grammys? It was a, a, an award show that he wanted to host, and he was awarded the show, but he had made some jokes in the past on Twitter, and he apologized for them. You look at how they cancel comedians for what they say on stage. When you look at Dave Chappelle and Ricky Gervais, who I think are two of the most brilliant minds in comedy, for sure. But they do. They make statements that are make people uncomfortable. This is where I, I, I watch the political tides turn in this country, and, and I, I think we need to get back to where we were before. Um, I've used this example before. Back in, you know, when I was much younger, there was a lot of questions about the National Endowment for the Arts, and there were art exhibits that they were giving money to. And a lot of these were, were very, there was a, there was an artist named Maplethorpe that did homoerotic art. And there were many people that found that to be very offensive. My, the classic example I've always used growing up Catholic like I did, there is no more sacred symbol in the Catholic Church than the crucifix, the crucified Christ. Uh, people have it on their rosary beads, it's hanging in every church. Uh, behind the altar for people to see. People wear them around their necks. There is a big difference between a cross and a crucifix. And the crucifix, the crucified Christ, is the most sacred symbol in the Catholic Church. There was an art exhibit where somebody took a rosary that had the crucifix and dropped it into a mason jar full of urine. And it was as controversial as it could get. But people back then would say art is supposed to make you uncomfortable. It intentionally makes you uncomfortable. That's what it's supposed to do. You know, we put ratings on films, but we don't tell people what they can put in film and all this other stuff. Well, here we are on social media, which isn't a real place. I'm looking at my Twitter page right now. I love Twitter. I, I like it because it is the free exchange of ideas. Now, I have fun with people on there because it's always the anonymous people that seem to be the most rabid. They're the bravest on Twitter. We call them keyboard warriors. It's the people on Twitter that will say the most vulgar things to you or they will be the most angry at you and make you know, veiled threats or just say horrible things to you. Not about an argument. They're not making an argument. They're just being vulgar. And they're usually anonymous. Usually, if it's your name, you, you disagree. There's a lot of people that disagree with me passionately, but I don't care. And I mean that respectfully. It's not a real place. Twitter doesn't really exist. Slappy682 on Twitter is not that person's real name. And it's those people that seem to be the most controversial, but who cares? Who cares? You know, if you've got a track record of being abusive to someone, verbally abusive, I, you know, you, I've worked with and I've worked for people that are just not good people. I'll go work somewhere else. And if I had an opportunity to hire them, I wouldn't hire them. And I wouldn't go back to work for those companies and work for those people ever again if they were the last place to work in town. But to hold somebody accountable for some dumb joke they cracked, and it, you know what, And it, let's be honest, in the context and the time frame that it was told, it could be funny. But it's not funny anymore. 
Um, and I, I'm not going to try to play it because of the computer issues we're having. But when you look at Bill Maher just did an eight minute thing about this whole thing. He calls it presentism. And I think it's uh, an ama- it was an amazing eight minutes if you get a chance to watch it. It's talking about people that what they said 50 years ago, they're being held accountable now for it. It's ridiculous. We are taking down statues. We are renaming schools because the founding fathers owned slaves. Everybody owns slaves that could afford them. It's one of the things that Bill Maher makes comments about. Even people of color that could afford slaves owned slaves in this country. It was a horrible time, but it was the culture at that time. Do you believe that George Washington or Thomas Jefferson or any one of the founding fathers now, if they were alive in the 21st century, would be advocating for slavery? No. Go And here's another thing for everybody out there in the politically correct world. Go and read the writings of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., which I have extensively. And the civil rights movement that meant so much to him was as much about his Christian beliefs as it was the color of his skin. Go read his opinions on gay people. Go listen to what Dr. Martin Luther King said about homosexuality and the horrible things he said about gay people. Go and look. He did it. It's, it's documented. Are we going to take down the statue in D.C. we erected to the civil rights movement? Or do you believe Dr. King might not be the same person in the 21st century had he lived that he was in the 1960s? Cancel culture has got to go all the way if it's going to go at all. Uh, coming up in just a few moments. We're going to talk about the economy and how it's affecting people, this inflation and the dramatic rise in inflation and how it's affecting us all.